I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman and I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Just you that's and me it. today. Just, just gruesome twosome. <laughs> A very fitting to start off the first episode of October. Yes. Or Shocktober. Shocktober? Because it's a pun. No, we're not, we're not calling it Shocktober. Can we call it Shocktober? No. No. <laughs> no. Mm. But no. we have got a couple of horror films to talk about later. We do. Um, in what will be a, an abridged podcast, is it's going to be shorter than usual, I expect. Um, yeah. There's no there's no quizzes, it never is with, with two of us. And also, there's no review of the film that I made Owen watch because he didn't watch it. You, I know, I have this on record because it's in, the la- it's in last week's recording. You told me that was on UK Netflix and it isn't. It was on it. It was on you because Netflix. You're right. It was, but it's not anymore. Um, it's not anymore. But you can. I'm sure you can find it. I I'm not expending any energy on finding. I don't it. think you need to expend any money. You might just need to to type in starving games online and, and watch it that way. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> just if it's not easily readily there. If it's not on I'm YouTube, gonna, I'm, I'm going to send you a link. I'm going to find. <laughs> I'm gonna find the link and send it to you. Um, it's only it's only fair. I will watch it if you make it easy for me to watch. I'm not I'm not going to any extraordinary lengths to do this. I will try my best to make it as accessible to you as possible. Gee, thanks. Um, but yes, we'll have a quiz next week, and you'll be hosting. Oh yeah. Ah, oh, now I've got to put something together. But on to the news almost straight away. And again, another thin segment for us this week. We've not a great deal happening. But I suppose the biggest item of news was that um, Disney have announced they're going to remake The Lion King um, in the same way they um, remade The Jungle Book recently with Jon Favreau in the director's chair for that one as well. Yeah, uh, I didn't realise that the, the Jungle Book was as successful as it was for Disney. Enough for them to go, oh, well, we'll redo The Lion King as well. I seem to remember it doing quite well. Uh, um, yeah, I, it did. I remember it did okay, but I mean, this this successful. I mean, they, but they, it's it's a kind of recurring theme at the moment for Disney because they've done obviously the Jungle Book in this style. They're doing Beauty and the Beast in this style, um, and now the Lion King. And, and mm. what's you know what's next? Are they going to do something else in this kind of? Well, not so much live action because it is a lot of CGI, but you know, updated style. Yeah, green screen stuff, basically. And is is there any is there any point doing um, the Lion King again? I mean, it's you know, Jungle Book. It was what fifty years plus since the original was released, and there were some dodgy racisms going on in that. Well, yeah, but I mean, as well as that, you know, you can think well. You know, things have moved on a lot in 50 years, so we can do something new with it. Lion King's not that old. Like, pretty much all of the original voice cast are still alive. I think bar, bar Alan Rickman, who was, who was <clears> scarred, they're all still alive, aren't they? Uh, I wouldn't know without checking. I mean, I... Well, Rowan, Rowan Atkinson was the bird thing. Uh-huh. He, he's still alive. James L. Jones was, was Mufasa. Um, and then I don't know if they had big names for... Is James Earl Jones alive? Didn't he die? Yes, you're probably right there. So maybe I'm wrong with all the um, 
Is he still? I'm genuinely curious now. No, I don't think because I'm sure he voiced Darth Vader in Star Wars Rebels. You're right. He yes, he is still alive. Imagine that. Wow. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I don't know who voiced um, um, Simba and Timon and Pumbaa, and if they were big big names. Let's have a. They'll probably get Idris Elba back. It'll just be Idris Elba again. Matthew Matthew Broderick was Simba, which I never knew. Was he? I never knew that. Until just now, I never knew that. Um, it was Jeremy Irons was Scar, not Alan Rick. Oh, yeah. yeah, Jeremy Irons. We are all about the facts this week. Die Hard, die hard Bad Guys, the same thing. Um, <laughs> Moira Kelly was Nala. I had no idea who she is. Nathan Lane was Timon. He's a comedian, isn't he? Oh, I don't know. Ernie Sabella was Pumba. I don't know who that is. Um, Whoopi Goldberg was um, was a hyena. So mm. she can still she can still do it. So yeah, I mean they well, the point is they can get a lot of the original voice cast back. It looked fantastic when they did it. Is there any point in remaking it? Well, it seems that um, I, the thing like what what Disney have been praised for lately is the way they've kind of subverted some of the traditions of Disney. Like Frozen, right, was about two uh, sisters. And, you know, love doesn't have to be between a prince and a princess. It can just be between two sisters. You know, that's, you know, that's enough reason for them to do anything. So the, the message there was quite different to how most old Disney princess stories went. Um now, The Jungle Book and The Lion King are pretty much, you know, the basic blueprint for Disney films. And so I don't really see how they are relevant to what Disney apparently or seemingly are trying to do these days. So, um, yeah, it's a strange one. It's a strange one. Maybe they're just doing it because they've got the technolo- technology now and it seemingly works quite well. Um, maybe they're just doing it because they know people will come and see it regardless. Um, but I just, I mean, did you grow up watching Disney films? I'm going to guess yes, because most people our age did. Not, I've never avidly into, I've seen all of Mm -hmm. them. You know, Mm -hmm. I love the Lion King. Um, I've seen like Aladdin and Pocahontas and all those other ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the endless stream of them. I was never, you know, never kind of brought up on them. I wouldn't say I've, I've just seen them. I'm not brought up on them. Not raised on them. Not massive yeah. fan of them. But I do appreciate them for what they are. Um, yeah. Well, my wife's old school friend. Her dad is Eric. I think I'm going to get the name wrong. Gold, Eric Goldberg, I think, and he's a director of. He directed Pocahontas. Right. And he's done all these different drawings, animations. I think he designed. Did he design the genie? In Aladdin or something. Anyway, basically, so like for um, for uh, my wife, she grew up with all these things, and it was a really big part of her childhood, and she absolutely loves them. But I reckon if I went over to her now and said, "So they're making a, a new Lion King film. Are you interested?" She would just go, "Not really bothered." Yeah, you know, I don't think there's, there's that nostalgia element to these new films. Um, yeah. Similarly, I mean, I didn't really ever I think maybe similar to you actually I didn't ever love these films I remember watching them as a kid we used to be babysat on Saturdays when my mom and dad were both at work by my nan and she just had videotapes of these things so we'd watch um you know uh the rescue rangers and um the aristocats and uh, you know jungle book hercules lion king all these things yeah and uh, so I have a little bit of nostalgia towards them, but not a lot. And even watching them now as adult, as an adult, the only ones I've ever liked have been Alice in Wonderland and Fantasia. The others that I've seen as an adult, I've kind of been underwhelmed by. So I don't know whether... Yeah, I just, but what, this is a very long way for me to say I'm not that bothered, to be honest. People will see it anyway because it's Disney. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to change my opinion about modern movies or, you know, fairy tale stories or or anything. Yeah, it's just it's just going to exist. Um, but yeah, it could it could be good because the the Jungle Book remake was was very good. It looked fantastic. The voice cast were great. If they can, if 
John Favreau can recreate, recreate that, then it'll be on to, a, a, at the very least, a watchable, enjoyable film. Yeah, and, you know, fair play to him, if he can. Um, I mean, how much did you like The Jungle Book, man? The, the new one? Yeah. I really liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was great fun. I thought the voice casting was was excellent, and the kid playing Mowgli was really good, considering it was his first kind of big film role, and he was acting with stuff that wasn't actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was a a good, fun family film that looked fantastic. It's not a great, it's not a great film by any means, but it was it was good. It's you know one of these solid seven out of ten films. It's very enjoyable. I'd watch it again if it if I if it was on telly and I didn't have anything else to do, um, but I wouldn't buy it that's mm, mm. that's rather than giving things a number rating system which i just did is <laughs> would never there's, would never watch again would watch again if it was on telly and i had nothing else on or really liked it and would buy it on dvd or blu-ray mm-hmm. and it's it's the middle one of those for me it's a good rating system yeah we should do that for every film we talk about on the podcast this week that's the new official fail critics rating system. Would not watch again. Would watch again if it was on telly and I had nothing else to do and liked it that much, I would buy it on, on Blu-ray. Jobs are good at. That is That is our new official rating system. Yeah. Fuck Roger Ebert's thumbs up method. Yeah, don't want thumbs up, stars, numbers out of ten or five <laughs> or any kind of other number. Just Just that. Do you ever actually rate films? Because when I log things on Letterboxd, I used well. I haven't done it at all, really, this year. But I used to put a star rating next to them so that I could easily look for ones. And when we were doing like triple bills and stuff, I would yeah. know which ones I liked. But do you ever put a rating to your the films you watch? It's so difficult, and it because it's so subjective. And also, mm-hmm. how do you measure up different genres against each other? So, say you had a, a comedy that had you. Creasing up with laughter. So say something like Dumb and Dumber, which is probably one yes. of my favourite comedies of all time. As a comedy, it's probably up there. It's probably an 8 or 9, maybe even a 10 out of 10 as a comedy. But you put it against something like, say, 12 Years a Slave, which I thought was a brilliant film. Again, you know, uh, an 8, 9, 10 out of 10 film, mm-hmm. if you're going to give it a rating. But a film that I probably only ever watched once because it was really difficult watch. Mm-hmm. It was quite harrowing. It. So I would probably never watch it again maybe watch it another two three times in my lifetime whereas dumb and dumber i may end up watching another 10 15 times in my lifetime but 12 years a slave is obviously a far better film than dumb and dumber in terms of filmmaking story acting whatever mm, then you're getting into the realms of worthiness so, so then yeah so then but you, you know it's very difficult to rate different genres or against each other because you can only really directly rate a comedy against a comedy, mm. or a drama against a drama, horror against a horror. You can't, you know, because where else? Where does the where's the scale? And then, sure. Then, then you said, well, I think, you know, I, I'd say Dumb and Dumber is an eight out of ten, and Twelve Years a Slave is an eight out of ten. And then people go, well, how can you rate Dumb and Dumber the same as, you know, a film about two idiots looking for some woman based on a suitcase because he thinks that the girl might like him or whatever the what actually was you know to to a film about slavery but then again it's but you're not and it's it's i, can't, yeah. I don't think a, i don't think a number based or star based or any kind of basically something that reduces down to numerically based rating works because it's so subjective and so difficult to kind of i mean it does in a way because if if i was looking through netflix tonight for a, a film to watch because um, they have a star rating out of five on Netflix. So if I saw a film that was one out of five, I wouldn't watch it. But if I saw a film that was rated at four or five out of five, I probably would. Yeah, so this is now where we're getting into the realms of relativity and um, worthiness and, and uh, you know, it, you, you're not necessarily judging a film against another film based on its star rating. Um, what you do is you judge a film based on what it sets out to achieve and how well it achieves that. So you can, in theory, have something like... Um, like okay, for, for example, using a similar kind of scale of what, you, what you've just done, where you've got a one, a, a one film which is critically acclaimed, right? One film which is, has won awards and is generally thought to be of worth or merit. So you could have uh, something like 12 Years a Slave, or you could have something like... 
uh, Spotlight or you could have uh, Birdman or any of these big, um, big acclaimed, critically acclaimed movies and then put that against something like Predator or something like, you know, Dawn of the Dead or something that you fundamentally enjoy, something that is achieving a high mark because of what it has in terms of resource, in terms of, uh, that means, you know, budget, in terms of the actors, the quality of actors that it's working with, the quality of script writers, all, all of the editing, everything together, what it starts out with and how it ends up. And you go, that film fully achieved everything I wanted it to based on what it was proposing. And then therefore, yeah. it's a five out of five, it's 10 out of 10, it's a two thumbs up, it's a, you know, a three out of your three star system that you've got going there. Or you would watch something like Birdman and think, yeah, you know, I can kind of agree how, yeah, it's maybe technically a quality film or, you know, you might think, of the, yeah, I guess it was kind of clever with its script, but wasn't really for me. And that's where subjectivity comes into it. So a rating system, I find, is is useful as a personal method of remembering what I thought of a film at a glance. And I think yeah. logging them in a diary and going, I thought that film was about, you know, talking about The Jungle Book, I thought The Jungle Book was about a 7 out of 10. And yeah. therefore, I know from that, remembering what, I, it, you know, it kind of jogs your memory. Oh, yeah, okay, so it's a 7 out of 10 because it was setting out to be this big epic story and it kind of failed in that but it was still sort of enjoyable and looked really good so and then suddenly you get all these you know okay no i know no i remember whereas you could go six seven years away from it and think what what did i actually think of the jungle book you yeah know, you could be talking to someone in the in the pub at uni at work whatever and someone asks you what you thought of that and you go um don't know about seven out of ten and it's kind of like a shared sort of language shared values that everyone agrees okay so uh, i get it this is what you thought of it without having to actually say it out loud so i think yeah. there's, some, there's some worth to doing that but i don't think it's the um way that you can measure one film's worth or value against another film's worth or value it's completely subjective to the person who's rating it their interpretation of that film and um not necessarily within its own genre, but just in terms of what it wanted to do and what it did. Yeah. So that's yeah. So that's a very long way of saying we don't really have a rating system. <laughs> Fail critics. Well, we didn't. We do now. We, we do. We will now if it will help yeah. people. We can give it a three or two or a one. Yeah. In what we've been watching this week, me and Owen will take a look at a couple of um, horror films that we have both seen recently. I'm going to start us off with uh, a newish release. I think Owen might well have previously reviewed on the podcast um, a couple of weeks back, and that is Don't Breathe, about some home invaders, some petty thieves, I suppose, who break into a blind man's house as he has a um, apparently a pretty big haul of cash lying around. They think it's going to be easy because he's blind uh, to get in and out, but it doesn't prove um, to be so easy. I enjoyed it for the most part. I thought it started well. Um, it was It was quite tense in places, but as the film went on, it just got a bit silly. The last third was just a bit stupid. It, it was going along at a, a good pace. The guy who played the blind man, Stephen Lang, who I think was in Avatar, where you might recognise him from, yes. um, was really good as kind of the blind man who who was a bit more of a, a worthy foe than you might have thought at the start. Um, you know, it, it's, it's quite tense, them creeping around, trying to avoid him, him catching them him you know being able to sense them and and hinder them and everything but as it goes on and and you find out a bit more without spoiling the film it just gets a bit daft 
a bit stupid and, and ruins the film because you can't. And it's one of those films that has like one, one of those things where it's like three endings where <laughs> you, think, you think it's going to end and it doesn't. You think it's going to end and it doesn't. You think it's going to end and it does, but you're pretty sure it's probably going to have another ending. I had real difficulty describing it on the podcast. All I will say is Turkey Baster. I'm not going to say anything else. Yeah, that's that was around the time where I just sort of thought, really? See, the, <laughs> that, is, that is interesting because that is very much a turning point for the film where some people are going to have your reaction to it. And I think some people like me will go, Oh God, this is grotesque. You know, this is just really icky and and kind of disturbing. Um, without actually doing anything. Weird. I think I think it might have been fine if the whole if the whole film was played out like that. Uh, but it was just such a it was so, well, it might not have been fine. But you know, it was such a change in tone to go from that to that. And it was just, you know, I've, what was before just quite a creepy. Not so much horror, I suppose, because it was there wasn't any kind of ghost or sure. paranormal or demonic. So it's, I suppose it's not a horror, but it is in some ways. Yeah, well, home invasions just like a yeah. sub genre. Yeah, of horror, I think. Um, but you know, what was quite a good home invasion film with a bit of a twist, having the the one of the people blind. Yeah, you know, it was a good idea, and it was working well. You were never really made to root for any of the characters, I suppose, because you, I never really felt sympathy for any of the the burglars. Um, one of them you're definitely not meant to feel any sympathy for, but the other two you're probably meant to relate to a bit and their situation and actually kind of want them to get the money so they can do what they want to do with it. Um, I never really sympathised with the the blind guy. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly by the end of the film I didn't, but you know when, <laughs> before, you, before you find out that he's a bit mental and a bit weird um, and you find out about the turkey baster, that you know you don't, I didn't. It didn't root for him either. So it was kind of a film where I. It's not like I didn't care for the characters. I just didn't want any of them to succeed. No, but I don't think. Again, like you said, I don't think that's the the point. You know. No. I think it's about the. Uh, I think it is the horror of the situation um, that they're in, and it increasingly tries to pressure you into um, squirming when you're watching it. So there's stuff like. Uh, Hmm. Such as when when Stephen Lang's walking through the dark, and he's blind, and he obviously knows his roots around, and he's counting the steps and stuff, and he can quickly move between things in the pitch black. And then it's when they've got the night vision camera on, the night vision yeah. stuff. Uh, obviously, the characters haven't got that because otherwise it would be pointless. They could see him, but like he he's moving around sort of very quickly in the dark. And just sort of skulking into shadows and the background and stuff, and waiting for them to come by him. I think that is really tense. I think that is shot really well. I think it's edited very well because it's very. The pace of it is just so up and down, like purposefully so, that you just kind of are on the edge of your seat watching it. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, although the characters aren't likable. And again, that's down to the fact that they're not written to be likable people. Yeah. Um, they were quite interesting characters. They were quite an interesting mix. I found it quite a, a, a fun, if somewhat gross, film at times. I yeah yeah I thought it was good. Jane Levy in particular as um oh I can't remember what the name of her character is, but I think she plays Mia in Evil Dead. That girl, she's she's good. She was really good. I thought they were all pretty good, to yeah. be fair. They get across the sort of aspects of their characters pretty well. Yeah, it was a it was a good good cast and mm-hmm. um but yeah, I just I said I, I enjoyed it for about two thirds and then the ending just got a bit silly and it was one of those annoying films with the the, the false endings where it's just sort of yeah. got a bit too much. I think it's quite hard to end a home invasion film well. Because yeah. you, you you get these I'm trying to think what the was it invitation or the invitation or something like that, which I watched quite recently, which was about some people invading the home of um, an agrophobic, and she uh, is agrophobic for a reason. And once they're in the house, they're kind of trapped in there with her, sort of thing. Um, that one was quite interesting, but again, it's basically hinged on having a twist. And then once the twist is done, it's basically like the film's shot its load and you're just left 
waiting for it to finish and wrap itself up um, because there's, they, there comes a certain inevitability about it. Um, they're either going to make it and you know they're going to make it or they're not going to make it. Um, and that's fine. Again, that's part of the fun of, of these films sometimes. It's just waiting to... It's just picking out who you think is going to die in what order and how. And then it just unravels and stuff. Yeah. Um, and Hush was quite a good one, which yes, has a, yeah. a bit of a, a um, twist on it as well because she's deaf. And so yeah. it obviously opens up all these different avenues for... Um, inventiveness um i think that there are ways to do it i just think that a lot of the time it, it it's not the best subgenre of uh of horror although again mm. saying that your next was one of my favorite horror films from recent years and that is just a home invasion film yeah and it's brilliant for it i mean we're getting all these um horror films now or home invasion films about people who have um lost one of their senses, so we might have one soon about somebody who can't taste anything. <laughs> what would uh, <laughs> what would the premise of that be? I, th- I don't know. No, just a, it was just a thought. I mean, what have we got less? We got we got taste, touch, and smell. Um, what what would be what would be most prohibitive to lose if somebody was breaking into your home? Taste, smell, or touch? Mm. Well, they've done smell. I'm sure someone must have done smell where they blow up something because there's a gas leak. They can't smell it. That must have been done. Yeah. Um, touch would be an odd one. I guess, yeah, maybe if you've got someone who's uh, quadruple amputee, lost all their limbs. You can still touch stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I, d- I don't know. This, this <laughs> is one for Hollywood to sort out, really. I, I would quite like to see a home invasion film where the person's got no sense of taste. I just yeah. can't imagine <laughs> that would save the day in the end. Mm. Try to be force-fed something really disgusting. It just doesn't bother them. <laughs> Maybe that's like the the home invader's calling card. They feed you really disgusting food. They're just able to siphon yeah. petrol out of a car and it doesn't yeah. bother them or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not one for coming up with ideas. Um, but Owen, what have you seen? <laughs> I watched uh, a horror film called Day of the Dead. Never heard of it. Mm, I'm sure. I, I'm not talking about the George A. Romero film, Day of the Dead, which I have seen in excess of about 15 times. Literally about 15 times. I'm sure I've watched it about four or five times this year. What What film do you think you've watched the most? Uh, it's probably between... Day of the Dead, Predator, and Night of the Living Dead. I'm gonna. I'm probably no. I reckon it's edging towards Day of the Dead. Right. What would you say is the one you've seen the most times? I would say it's either Star Wars or Die Hard. Yeah, it's you know, probably more acceptable. <laughs> or maybe, or maybe even Mighty Ducks Two. Yeah. I mean, it could be Mighty Ducks Two. It could be. Wow, that's. I mean, for, for a time, Mike Bassett, England manager, would have been up there. But now I only watch it before tournaments. <laughs> so now, it, now it only gets a viewing every two years. But yeah, yeah well, so, if England qualify. Yeah. Um. Okay. So Day of the Dead, uh, the original. I have seen it tons of times, as we have established. But it's one of those films that has grown on me a lot over time. The first time I watched it, going back to our idea of star ratings, I've just had a quick look at my old letterbox reviews. Yeah. And going back to four years ago, the first time I logged it on Letterboxd, I gave it four stars. And then it got four and a half stars the next time I watched it. And then four and a half stars, four and a half stars, five stars, five stars, five stars. So it's, you know, over those just few reviews that I've logged or a few um, watches that I've logged on there, it's increased in my list of favourite films because I don't give out five stars very often. But all three of George A. Romero's original trilogy now have five stars on there. And I'm very happy with that situation. I absolutely fucking love these films. Now, approaching Day of the Dead, the remake, which was released in 2008, I picked that up originally on Blu-ray. And I don't know why. It was one of the first films on Blu-ray that I bought. Before I even owned the original Day of the Dead, I had the remake on Blu-ray. And I remember thinking it was it was okay. It wasn't bad, really. 
it kind of tries to you know when you watch a film and it feels very retrofitted into a franchise or a series yeah like someone's come up with the concept for a film and then thought mm, if we slap a label on this that people are going to recognize we can probably sell a few more of them so if we change this character's name to bub uh, if we make this character a soldier, what if we call this guy Dr. Logan? That kind of thing seems to creep into it. Yeah. Because that's basically where the similarities to the original end. Uh, because the only, well, in, in, in terms of the characters and stuff, because the story is vastly different. Whereas Day of the Dead in the 1985 film takes place pretty much exclusively in an underground bunker many many years after the initial outbreak of the zombie virus and they're trying to cure it or if not cure it as it transpires they're trying to teach the zombies to learn and to be integrated into society the remake just has all of this happening from initial outbreak people have started to get flu symptoms to now we know what is causing this to here's a massive outbreak of zombies running around this hospital running around this radio shack running around this town to know this zombie who's called bub who was a soldier but has been bitter and he was kind of nice before and he was vegetarian uh and now he's not attacking anybody that's it because he's a pointless character bub in the in the remake is absolutely redundant in the story there is no reason whatsoever for him to exist at all the point about him learning is kind of pointless adventure for the characters to stroll down because it, it doesn't bring anything different to what's going on. It doesn't do this sort of huge sacrifice that saves everybody. He doesn't kill the bad guy. He doesn't learn to, you know, like Bub in the original. Does, the whole thing about that film is it's bringing a close to that trilogy. You've gone from the outbreak of not understanding to Dawn of the Dead, which is the survival, and hints that people are... These zombies are still just people. They just don't remember that they were people. They just remember doing stuff like walking around a shopping mall, um, which is obviously like social commentary on capitalism and consumerism. And then you go into the Day of the Dead, and it's like, okay, so he's he's learning now. He's a sol- He was a soldier. Uh, he's in, he's now in a zombified state, but he still remembers stuff and he can still be taught things. Um, so there's obviously an analogy then to returning soldiers from Vietnam, from any other war that you want to pluck out of the of thin air. Uh, this is not. There's no. There's no commentary on this. It starts off being very. Um, well, actually, the, the thing that surprised me this time around was I had a bit more of an awareness about who the director was because it's directed by a guy called Steve Miner, who I guess is probably most well-known for Lake Placid, but he also worked on Friday the 13th, Part 2 and 3. And I think Part 3 is the one where Jason gets the machete, the, well, the big knife and the hockey mask. So he's the guy who who did that I also did a film called House from uh, 1986 which was quite fun but I I had a bit more of an awareness about him and for the first time realised this isn't being made by a debut director who is box ticking every cliche, every trope of a zombie film that he can it literally has literally has woman at night running through the woods and trips over and gets eaten by a zombie that was chasing her. It's that basic. Um, well, I mean, are you saying that wouldn't happen in a zombie apocalypse? I'm saying that it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit um, cliched and trite and been done a million times before. And for something that's that should be aspiring to have uh, a degree of competence above many of its low-budget contemporaries. It, it inserts something that's cheap and easy for no value. It doesn't, doesn't do anything new, doesn't do it. I mean, if you're watching this film and you see a, a, a scene like that, it now has a negative effect on the viewer who will watch it and think, oh, for f- fuck's sake, this, is, you, this isn't what you want to see in a modern horror film. I guess it was kind of stuck in a bit of a limbo in terms of it was post... Um, 
28 Days Later, but pre The Walking Dead. So I think those are probably yeah. the two modern seminal zombie films, really, uh, or zombie modern interpretations, because um, it came out in 2008. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it's still not a very good film. But then actually, you know, there are things that I do like about it. Um, I don't like the CGI blood. I think that's naff. I don't like the CGI deaths, and I don't like the fact that they make the zombies for some reason into, like, Spider-Man. They all can just crawl on the ceilings and stuff. Um, I don't like Dr. Logan in this. I think, again, it's a wasted opportunity. The character isn't fleshed out enough. His motivations aren't fleshed out enough. All you know is, oh, he's a doctor. He knows what's going on, and now he's running away, which is just like a bit of a, a step to progressing the story. Um, but the characters are rubbish. The 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 horror isn't horrifying. Um, some of the, I mean, it, again, we were talking earlier about films that have this weird mesh of um, styles to them, or tones, I guess, rather than styles. And it has a a kind of humorous, dark humorous aspect to some of it. Like uh, the woman who, like the, the the woman who was running through the woods and gets eaten, she has her belly tattoo, tattoo around her belly button, and so when the zombies finish eating, they throw something and it's just her the skin off her belly that lands on the floor with a like a kind of satisfying as it hits the floor. But it's it, it, yeah, I mean, I I think I, I I don't need to explain it anymore. It's a it's a shit low budget remake of Day of the Dead. If you have 80 minutes and you really are scraping the bottom of the barrel for something that's just recently been added to UK Netflix to watch during Shocktober, I've said it again, Shocktober, um, then, yeah, there, there are worse zombie films that you could you could find, but it's, it's really not worth your time. If you're going to watch any zombie film, then the original would be about a million times better and more worthy of your time. So yes, don't don't watch that remake then. Essentially, pretty much, pretty yeah. much. In the final part of this week's podcast, Owen is going to review the new Tim Burton film, and I'm going to take a stab at remembering the title. <laughs> Go on then, off the top of your head, Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children. Yeah, Miss Peregrine's home. Yeah. Yeah, like the bird. Yeah. Yeah, Miss, Mr. Peculiar's aviary for strange children, I think I called it, or, or whatever it was on Twitter. Yeah, basically, it's a stupidly long name. But it's not a film that is written by Tim Burton. He is it, Isn't it one of these other kind of tween-lit, teen-lit, like... Yeah, like I believe so. Per, yeah. like Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's that it's kind of like kids' fantasy. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, but it's adapted the screenplay anyway. Um, was written by Jane Goldman, you know Jonathan Ross's wife, right. uh, as I'm sure she loves being referred to as, but also known as the writer of uh, Kingsman, X Men, First Class, Kick Ass, Woman in Black. Stardust, all those kind of films. Um, she's written this one. So I was a little bit more optimistic that going into this because Tim Burton makes me very pessimistic about his films. Am I, am I alone in that? Do you, do you, have you forgiven him for half of the shit he's made yet or is he still one of these no. directors? No, no, no. He's, 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 he's moving into Michael Bay territory. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I liked some of his films. A long time ago, but now he produces absolute shite. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Big Eyes, which I've heard is all right. Um, but, you know, I have seen a lot of, you know, Dark Shadows. What was, was that the first film or one of the first films we reviewed on Fail Critics? Definitely one of the first. Yeah. Frank and Weenie was okay. Um, wasn't so keen on Sweeney Todd, but even that was a long time ago now. That was about a decade ago. Uh, this is more like um, Big Fish, for example, because he hasn't he hasn't written this one. He's just adapted it, right? And it feels very much like a film with Tim Burton style layered over the top of it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you you know you kind of 
get that it's a mesh of three different people's styles and none of them really work at all. I don't know what the original novel is like. I don't really think I'll ever read it either. But you get like Jane Goldman's quirkiness in the writing and then it doesn't really work particularly well with Tim Burton's quirkiness in the visuals. They seem to be battling with each other to win for screen space. You've also got a cast who are pretty stellar in terms of Eva Green is there, uh, Terence Stamp is in it, Samuel L. Jackson, Rupert Everett pops up for a little bit, so does Judy Dench. It's also got Ace of Butterfield. I think he was in the running for Spider-Man and then, and then Mr. But, you know, it's got all these um, big names attached to it. You expect at least, like, charisma from them. Um, and to be honest, the only one who provides it is Samuel L. Jackson. Eva, Eva Green's fine. Eva Green is fine. And Terrence Stamp is fine. Rupert Everett is fine. The Edge is fine. <laughs> but Samuel L. Jackson's the only one who seems to be enjoying himself. Um, and I think it's because the writing in particular is horrendous is it's it's possibly the worst written film that I, I've watched this year. Every every second line in this film contains the word mean. So uh, nothing happens. Nothing happens. It's a series of characters explaining things and somebody saying, so what does that mean? And then they explain what the implications of that are. So you have Eva Green walking around saying, hmm, so we live in a loop. And so then Asa Butterfield's character goes, a loop? What's a loop? And then she'll say, oh, it's where, you know, every 24 hours we have to reset the time. Here's a visual to explain what that means. And then he goes, oh, so so how do you how do you live? What what do you what do you do? Oh, OK, this is what I do. And then we, we get chased by these people. So who are those people? It just continues on like that for the entire dialogue in the movie. Literally, fuck all happens in this movie until about maybe 90 minutes in. And then you have a little bit of action when Samuel L. Jackson properly turns up. Otherwise, it's a series of explanations and a series of questions. And the word mean is used a million times. I hated it. Really disappointed by it. The visual style was not strong enough. The individual characters were not peculiar enough. Uh, The... Villains are not threatening threatening enough. The big set piece in the film, which sees a big ship resurrected from the sea, which was shown in the trailer, uh, was not dramatic enough. It was just like, here, one minute, and, you know, there we go. That's that bit. There's no, like, spark. There's no essence to it. it. It's the most bland, boring, annoying, frustrating piece of crap that I've watched in... Oh, weeks, months. It's just not been a good year, 2016. Really just can't wait for this movie year to end because there's we had a few good films at the start of the year, like literally in the first couple of weeks of January. One or two dotted throughout since then that have been quite interesting or quite good. No great films, really. I think Spotlight came out in first week of January over here. Technically is even, I mean, that's a 2015 release if you go by when it was released in the States. And then The Nice Guys. um, Civil War. Civil War. But it's just been a barren year. And it's more for me, I guess, because I'm the person who went to the cinema to watch Tim Burton film, knowing what his films are like these days. But I still just, I hoped to just at least have some visual element to hang on to. Something to to get out of it from from that aspect because yes he is all style but sometimes his style works. I mean I mentioned Big Fish as being a similar film to this because it is someone else's fantasy story and it is his his kind of fantastical elements all working quite well with that. Uh, this is the opposite. It's just friction between everything. I can't think of many. Tim Burton films I actually really like. Ed Wood is his best film by a distance. Beetlejuice was good. Batman wasn't so good when I rewatched it not that long ago. Edward Scissorhands wasn't that good when I rewatched it. Batman Returns wasn't that good when I rewatched it. 
I mean, the less said about shit like fucking Corpse Bride and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland, the, the better, in in, mm. in my opinion. And Planet yeah. of the Apes remake as well. I'm so that glad. Just a, mm, that was just fucking stupid. It was, <laughs> and they were Abe Lincoln, Ape Lincoln all along. Ape Lincoln, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It might as well have been the ending to the musical in... In The Simpsons with Troy McClure. It might as well have been. In fact, the snippets from The Simpsons episode of that are much better than his attempt at remaking that. I'm just so, so grateful that he didn't get a chance to make any more because I I bloody love the Planet of the Apes films, the original five. Um, Yeah. And then the the ones they made recently have all been good. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is fantastic. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, fortunately he wasn't given more opportunity to ruin that franchise. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar uh, Children, just one to completely avoid. I don't even know if people who normally liked Tim Burton films will like it. And I can't even think what people would get out of it. It doesn't make use of anybody, really. It doesn't make use of Terrence Stamp enough. It doesn't make use enough of Eva Green. Because, like I say, she just is there to show her long fingernails, kind of look out the sides of her eyes, and uh, explain stuff. It's just it's just a really shit movie. Right. Really shit. Just awful. Okay. Awful, awful, awful. Okay. Well, that's nearly all for um, this week's podcast. So we're going to recommend a few things to you guys to watch. I'm going with Netflix, and I'm going for the animated show Rick and Morty, which has just gone on to Netflix. It's I don't even know if it's been on UK TV yet, um, but it is brilliant and hilarious and a bit twisted, and I'd recommend anyone watch it. Yeah, I've um, just started watching it as well because it's been added. I tried to get hold of it a long time ago, and like I say, I just couldn't find it on UK TV anywhere. Made by the same people who made Community, I think. Yes. um, It's an adult swim show, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. See, Community is one of those shows that took me a little while to get into. I liked it pretty much straight away. James was a big fan of Community as well. Yeah, he loved it, didn't he? I think we, we've yeah. got to season four yeah. of that, but it's taken a while. It's it's one of those that's quite yeah. easy, easy to dip in and out of, isn't it? Community? Yeah, the last couple of seasons aren't as good as the rest, but yeah, it is good. Lots of film references that I like. <laughs> very, very meta. Yeah. Yes, what are you telling people to watch, Owen? Um, well, there's tons of stuff that's been added to Netflix recently, one of which was Luke Cage, and I've watched the first episode. Have you watched any of Luke Cage yet? Not yet. I've not really got into the Marvel Netflix shows yet, Oh, to be yeah, honest. yeah, that's right. Um, Passed pass me by a little bit. I'm not hearing good things about this. I was going to say, after um, trying and failing with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and failing to get into that, then the, the rest... Haven't really um, no. lived up for <laughs> Agents of Shields is fucking awful. Um, I know people like it, but it's just awful, people. It's awful. Uh, it yeah. started off awful, then it went okay for a bit in the middle of season one, and then it went awful again. Um, just no. Um, but the first season of Daredevil, brilliant. One of the best Netflix originals. Jessica Jones, I didn't particularly enjoy. I thought, again, the writing in that wasn't so good. But it was still, you know, worth watching. Daredevil Season 2 was pretty good for the Punisher stuff. And uh, Luke Cage, the first episode, I thought was okay. I thought it was fine. It's very much a set-up episode. It's, you know, it's a tip- I mean, it's weird that it's a typical pilot episode without really being a pilot because they don't need to do pilots. It was okay, actually. Uh, yeah, there were things in it that I liked, things that have made me curious to watch the rest, but I've not heard many good things about it. I hear that after episode three, it improves, but it's still not great, which is a shame um, because it's basically the setup for the Heroes for Hire stuff. But anyway, anyway, yeah. that wasn't what I was going to recommend. What I was going to recommend was um, stuff that's actually on TV because we, we've been picking lots of Netflix stuff recently because there's lots of stuff been added to it, but... On Film 4, on Wednesday at 9pm, is Justin Kurzel's adaptation of Macbeth, the film that we went to... Did you see it? You did. You walked out on it, didn't you? I don't think I walked out on it, but I, I saw it. 
Uh, it was the film that broke Escobar Walker and Paul Field when they were on the podcast and we did a, the, yeah. the Scottish podcast about this time last year. I uh, I liked Macbeth in the cinema. It took me a little while to think, you know, to decide what I thought about it. And I've seen it about twice since then. And I've, I've enjoyed it. I think each time it gets better. Um, so my recommendation is to record Macbeth, watch it, then wait a couple of months and then watch it again. And you'll probably get more out of it. Um, or maybe not a couple of months because you'll be watching it at Christmas and it's really not a Christmassy film. But uh, yeah. Also, I wanted to pick out another one that's on TV, which is on uh, Film 4 on Thursday evening. So uh, the next day. It's at quarter to one in the morning. Uh, so Friday morning, Thursday evening. It's a film called Mother, which is a Korean uh, drama, thriller, murder mystery, revenge thing. Uh, starring Bin Wan and Kim Hyjar. It's about a mentally challenged son who's accused of murder and then the mother tries to protect him. Not necessarily clear his name, but just sort of... Yeah, it's really good. Really worth a watch. So there's two films on TV this week to make up for the lack of ones that we've recommended over the past couple of weeks. Okay, Uh, that's nearly all for the podcast. Just want to say thank you to... Uh, Matt Lambourne and Matt Aguilera for inviting me on to their Footstock uh, FIFA 17 um, release date Ultimate Team podcast, which you can find in all the usual places. Nice for me to be invited on as a guest somewhere, Owen. Doesn't happen often. You kept that quiet. I didn't know you were doing that. Didn't you? I thought you knew. I did not know. No? Am I meant to put this in these requests in writing to you first? Uh, I exclusively own all of your rights to podcast appearances, yes. That's how it works. Well, Wikishuff will never invite me on. I'd be brilliant on that one, but they won't have me. So I found someone who would. They seem to have dropped their guests. But um, they were doing guests one every month, I think, for a while. And then they seem to have wow. stopped. But I guess... There's still chance still chance to get me on have you, Wikishuff. Have you listened to their Goodnight Sweetcast? Have you... Um, not yet, no. That's That sounds like one of those things that is a funny idea, but you wouldn't enjoy, but is actually really good. <laughs> It sounds like an interesting idea. Yeah, as um, they assess every episode in the long-running BBC sitcom Goodnight Sweetheart with Nicholas Turst. They did bring back for a one-off special. They did. Um, which they've done with a lot of sitcoms, and actually I didn't mind it. I thought it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. Have you watched many of these um, sitcom things they remade, the BBC? No, no, and I'm, I'm borderline refusing to watch the Porridge one. Yeah, I haven't watched the Porridge one. Because because Porridge is like perfect sitcom. Uh-huh. It it's brilliant. I I think Porridge is, is excellent in terms of sitcoms. And to remake it with that what's his name? I, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, Kev, yeah, yeah. Kevin someone. Mm-hmm. And he's playing Fletch's grandson and they just basically got a Mackay rip off as the I just what no. Mm-hmm. Just don't you don't need to. That was that was perfect how it was. Yeah. If if Ronnie Barker was still alive, maybe do something there. But then they re, then they remade Open All Hours without Ronnie Barker. Then they've just got David Jason oh, there yes. as Granville. And I mean, I never watched Open All Hours, but that's been going for a few series. Is is you know coming back? So people are obviously liking it. Not me. But then but then people like Mrs Brown's Boys. So I, I don't know. Be- I I find BBC sitcoms now to be of much lower quality than they used to be. I mean, like the thing is, they the thing is that what they'll do is they'll give like Mrs. Brown's Boys or Citizen Khan like prime time spots, and then was it people just do nothing or say nothing mm-hmm. is hidden away is hid, hidden away online, which is meant to be hilarious and you know fantastic. That's hidden away online somewhere, and Citizen Khan, which is just bollocks, mm-hmm. is given a prime time slot. What do you what do you think the BBC should be doing though in terms of like just from a uh, a stance point of them being this this media uh, thing that exists that it, it isn't reliant on viewing figures to exist you know they they shouldn't have got rid of BBC Three I mean some of the content on BBC Three was was wank I mean you had repeats of Family Guy and American Dad constantly which is fine and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, they, they could have probably worked more on the content they were putting out and produced better content and kept it as a viable TV channel rather than 
moving it and put i know people i was gonna say but if people aren't if people really aren't watching it and like you say it's just reruns of family guy and reruns of american dad and all that stuff you know they could and they did remove that channel from its sort of broadcasting output and create an online channel which is where its audience Mm. are apparently moving to more people are watching iplayer than ever before you know yeah I think with their sitcoms and their comedy output that goes out on on actual television, they could do better with. I, it seems they go a lot to a lot of lowest common not denominator stuff, mm-hmm. which is fine if that's what a lot of people want. But I thought the BBC's remit was to kind yeah. of inform, educate, and entertain, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and and kind of provide something for everyone. After all, everyone's got to pay the fucking TV licence. Well, I don't think they, they do have to provide something for everyone. Well, no, but I think they should be a bit broader, you know, be a bit more challenging, not challenging, be a bit more, what's the word? I don't know, not not go for lowest common denominator stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I, what, what do I watch on the BBC? I watch The Apprentice, which I've gone off of. I watch Dragon's Den, which is going the same way. I watch Match of the Day, which I still think is actually quite a good... For, as, a, as, a, as a football highlights programme. Gets more viewing figures than live football match of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And perhaps I'll watch Doctor Who and that's about it. You know, it doesn't, doesn't seem to produce that much fantastic content. And when it does, it's put away, you know, it's like Storyville documentaries that you can get online now and, and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and they're not really producing those. They're just, uh, but I mean, no. like the... Um, Channel 4 is, you know, public broadcaster as well. It has advertising, but it does. the only difference is it doesn't create content. It kind of commissions it or accepts it from yeah. from people, um, from production companies. But then, like, um, ITV exists. I mean, literally, its purpose, its reason for being, its raison d'etre is to appeal to the lowest common denominator. That is that is literally what it's for. It's Which is why it's just X Factor, Corey and Emmerdale. Yeah. Because it, it, you know, it's obvious. It hasn't even, it hasn't even got, hasn't even got Champions League football anymore. No. So it, it, it's literally Jeremy Kyle, Imadel, Corrie, X Factor. Yeah. And the voice when they get the voice next year. Although they and Britain's Got Talent. They are, yeah. And Celebrity Jungle. Exactly. It's all this shitty stuff, but that's so throwaway and awful. But they, they are making dramas. I don't know how well all of them are received, but they make. You know, some stuff is is quite cl- critically acclaimed. Not just Downton Abbey, but like um, Broadchurch, the first oh, series of that. Yeah, was... Broadchurch. Uh, yeah. And then they they made other they've made other things recently that have been successful. And it's kind of like the 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 BBC has an opportunity to take more of a risk. It exists to inform, educate, and entertain. So it can make mass consumable sitcoms like Mrs. Brown Boys. Um, but it's not going to make any extra money from them. But it can, it can push the envelope with then making stuff like... Uh, I'm, I can't think of anything recent off the top of my head, but I'm going to say stuff like The Office. You know, it can take a chance on it. Similarly, so can uh, Channel 4 take a chance on creating some of this stuff, but putting things out there like uh, Misfits or... Um, was it Alien? Was that the thing that was on E4? Yeah. Not too long back. You know, all these kind of... These shows that they can go, or, or Utopia, for example, on Channel Four, which was mm. phenomenal TV. It was it was great. It was one of the best modern dramas that we've had. Um, but I just think that in terms of the IT, IT, in terms of not ITV, in terms of BBC's sitcom coverage, sitcom production line, um, it's just it's just a bit shit lately, isn't it? I mean, I, I watched one of those remakes they did. Other than the Goodnight Sweetheart one. I watched, uh, because it had Simon Day in it. I saw Simon Day's name attached to it. It was the Till Death Do Us Part knockoff remake. Yeah. And it was crap. Simon Day's good, but it's just crap. And it's it's baffling, really. It's baffling. It seems like the sort of thing that you would try to do if you were low on viewing figures and you were trying to reel people back in is to play on this nostalgia element to it. Yeah. It would never be as good as the original. It would never be as good as the original, exactly, exactly. But then they they didn't they make a huge series of um, an Only Fools and Horses thing. They've done a couple, haven't they? Well, they they, they brought it back for three specials when yeah 
well, quite a while ago now, um, but a long time after the main series finished, which which finished on the absolute perfect note. It couldn't have finished in a, in a better way. Yeah. And it just seemed like everybody wanted to cash in by bringing it back for three specials, which weren't actually that good. Um, and then the only thing I could think of they've done as Only Fools and Horses since was the kind of... Green um, Green Grass or something. For, the Green Green Grass was a Boise spin-off, yeah. which ran for a few series. Uh, the prequel with... Oh, Rock and um, Chips, was it, or something like that? Yeah, with Jay from the in-between as playing a young Del Boy, yeah. which I watched a couple of, and it was it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they did a comic relief special with David Beckham. Oh, good. It was Del Boy, Del Boy Rodney, and Dave Beckham. It was actually very funny. Beckham was brilliant in it. For, for somebody who's not an actor, yeah. he was, you know... Um, but yeah, it was just a sort of five-minute sketch. There was there was something that um, we had Ben Challoner on um, from Sudden Double Deep a while back, and he recommended there was a BBC uh, sitcom that we should all be watching, and it's one of these, like you say, that gets hidden away online. Um, the only one I watched recently was the um, Morgana Robinson's The Agency. Right. And I watched that because it was Morgana Robinson, and I know her from House of Fools. With Vic and Bob, um, yeah. Well, there you go. There's Vic, Vic and Bob's House of Fools that I'm just recommending as well, which I also think has just been added to Netflix as it happens. Uh, oh, uh, Fleabag, I think was the thing that Ben recommended. I, I did watch the first episode and didn't didn't quite get into it, but yeah. they 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 can make quality TV. The BBC, they can do it. They have got it in them to commission comedy that is not just intelligent but is f- like furiously funny stuff like i watched the uh, um the thick of it recently rewatched the thick of it i rewatched extras and they're both great it just frustrates me when you know when you do turn on the tv and you see stuff like um mrs brown's boys or uh, you know any other prime time bbc sitcom apparently that's on just really lets me down. Yeah. I think they should be making much more. This is going to make me sound like an utter wanker, but much more sophisticated comedy. They shouldn't be making lowest common denominator drivel. Yeah, that's drivel's drivel's harsh. Drivel's harsh because for some people that's what they want to watch. That's what TV is for. It's kind of junk food, and that's okay. That's absolutely fine. If that's how you want to use TV, that's completely your choice, and that's why ITV exists. But it's not why the BBC exists, and it's not what the BBC should be doing, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. When it can create content that is that is as good as that, as good as stuff like this. Yeah. Um, this was meant to be us ending the podcast, but it ended up not being, but we are going to end now. Yes, let's um, go. Let's next, make sure. <laughs> next, next week, Owen, we're back with... We're back with Andrew Brooker, um, who will be joining us next week. We have the London Film Festival starting at the weekend. Yes, London Film Festival. And we'll, we'll probably, well, we'll try and talk about whatever we can. I think The Girl on the Train is out, Bloodfather, The Governor, War on Everyone. And hopefully, in the meantime, you will get um, another podcast pop up on your Fail Critics subscription feed, which is called Character Unlock, which is John Miller and Andrew Brooker. And they're trying a spin-off podcast, another sister podcast, because Underground Nights has been quite successful for us, uh, so much so that it's now in its own individual show. And so Character Unlock is going to take its place in a not-quite-that-regular spin-off stuff. Yeah. I've listened to the first episode, I've edited it, they talk about EGX, and the, the stuff that went on there, the Euro Gamer Expo, is that what it is? I don't really know much about games. They're much more qualified to talk, to talk about it than I am anyway. So if that pops up, give it a listen. We welcome any feedback, of course, as we always do. Just um, let us know on Twitter, at FailCritics, or email failcritics.com. But yeah, that should be a lot of fun. A new other podcast spin-off, Steve. We're just uh, churning them out lately. Excellent. Absolute network now, aren't we? We are. Mm. The failed media network of podcasts. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at what we've done, James. Look at what we've done with your baby. <laughs> yep. As if he listens to this anymore. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. 
remixed by James Yule of jamesyule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 